Every now and then, I will find myself sitting alone in my home at night. The doors are locked, the road I live on is quiet, and all the windows on my block are awash in darkness. My responsibilities for the day are officially done, and just as the ever-present tension in my shoulders begins to loosen its grip ever so slightly, something shifts in the air around me. It is infinitesimal, the shift, and yet unmistakable. I am not alone. Do you know what it's like to feel someone looking at you? You can't see them, and yet you know they're there. Fear tells you so. The feeling starts right in between my collarbones. It's fast and cold, like I swallowed a ball bearing. It then shifts into a swarm of moths seeking light, trying to exit. They fill my lungs, causing my breath, which has picked up speed by now to catch in my throat and land in the shallows of my chest. Fear finds a way in. Suddenly, I am keenly aware of my own heartbeat. I feel it throbbing in my chest, hammering in my head, ringing in my ears. My stomach flips as though the floor has suddenly given way under me, and my fingertips, which have gone cold by now, begin to tremble. I raise my hands to my face and pass them over my cheeks. I clutch the place in my chest where the moths are angrily trying to escape. I breathe in ragged gasps, and suddenly I am hot and the room is spinning. Am I sick? Fear weakens you. I have to get up, I have to move. Whatever is giving me this feeling is surely closer than it was when the shift began. The next thing I know, I am on my feet, checking the locks on all the doors. I, I don't even know how I got there, but the animal that lives inside us all has taken over. It is better to be the hunter than the hunted. Fear puts us on the hunt. I am possessed by a single mission. Find it. Find the person who has slipped in my home and burned holes into me with their invisible eyes. Find where they are hiding and get them out. Get them out. I look everywhere. In the showers, under the beds, in the closets. I cautiously round every corner and sink to my knees to see into the tight spaces. I search feverishly and find nothing. Finally, I sink onto the floor, my skin crawling with nerves hot and itchy, my vision crossing legs shaking. There isn't anything there. There never was. Fear lies. Fear doesn't always have a rational source. It chooses you when your guard is down, when you're alone, when you're vulnerable, when your heart is open and you're searching for answers, when you need something to hold on to. Fear offers you an unsteady hand and pulls you into its cold, thin mist. I see this now and I, th I think I'm okay. I'm certain now that my mind was just playing tricks on me. I lay down in my bed, close my eyes, and begin to drift. But then I feel the ball bearing. The knob to my bedroom door turns slowly and the tumbler in the lock clicks. I, I tell myself it's only a dream three times before remembering that I never once looked behind me. And now it's too late. Fear warns you, but you don't always know how to listen. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And... We would be dead.
Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, fiends. I am so excited about this episode. Me too. And I know we've been hyping it up for like a really long time. It's different for us, for sure. Yeah. But in keeping with our general theme, COVID is scary. The unknown is scary. A lot of the misinformation that is out there in the world about the COVID vaccine is very scary. And scary is our thing. Yeah. So here we are. Great. Before I beg for reviews and shares, like I do every week, (laughs) let me say this. This is by far the most important thing we have ever done. The information in this episode needs to reach as many people as possible. It is more than you will read in a New York Times article or some click-through BuzzFeed treatment. Whether we choose to recognize it or ostrich the whole situation with our heads in the sand, we are all in the middle of a global pandemic, and America is not handling it super well. (sighs) There are ways to come back from this, but in order for that to happen, we have to listen to science for a minute. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay. Yeah, listen to science. If you only share one episode of this podcast, please, fiends, share this one. My greatest hope is that it reaches as many people as humanly possible. So share it everywhere you can, even if you never share us again. But share us again. Yes. (laughs) Share this one, though, please. (laughs) And if you're sitting there saying, no problem, Holly, I love sharing. What else can I do for you today? Tell me. First of all, I love that person. Yes. They're great. Love Claire. (laughs) Her name's Claire? Yes. I love Claire, too. Let's just keep going with that. She's not Linda in accounting, because fuck that girl. Linda. (laughs) Well, Claire, I'm glad you asked. In keeping with the scientific truth theme of this episode, I will admit that Leslie and I truly need validation to survive. Yeah, we we figured that out pretty quickly, but— Yeah, we did. Yeah. Without it, we will surely perish. It's science. Yes. (laughs) So if you want to keep Leslie and me podcasting for all eternity, please drop by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Every single one really does help. And if you'd like to go the extra mile for We Would Be Dead, and in doing so, by the way, you would be making more episodes like this one possible, you can support We Would Be Dead on Patreon. For just a small monthly donation, you'll receive exclusive access to our monthly live Campfire Stories event, which is happening... Well, will have happened this past Friday. Right. Because we're in the future now. It happened on January 29th. It did. And I bet it was super fun. We talked about Goosebumps stories. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just Mm. thinking about it. I see what you did there. (laughs) You also will get discounts in our merch store, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, access to our extra monthly podcast, 30-Minute Horror Movies, Mm -hmm. and much more. And if all of that is a little overwhelming, I understand, you can help us out just by simply sharing our content to your social media feeds. Then your friends can be fiends and we can all hang out together. Yes. Yay! And make sure if you like this episode to join our Facebook group. It's especially important for you to do that this week. If you're over there, you will have an opportunity to communicate firsthand with today's guests and ask any lingering questions you might have. Just remember to keep it respectful when addressing our doctor friends. I know this topic can be a little sensitive, and they've done us a huge solid by making themselves available. And also, I'm not a pleasant person when people are mean to my friends. Yeah. Not that any of you guys would be. Our fiends are top-notch. But I'm just covering all of our bases. You know how it is. I want to see you get angry. I think you have seen me get angry. (laughs) I have a few times. (laughs) Especially that one time. (laughs) Some people are not as nice as others. It happens. Mm -hmm. Anyway. I think that's everything. Leslie, do you have anything else? 
Uh, no, not this week. No? It's coming. Yeah. You're going to no have day. something soon. I know it. I know. I, f- I feel it boiling, but I don't know. <laughs> it's on the back burner. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it out later. It's fine. Okay, then. On with the show. Well, 2020 was an interesting time, wasn't it? Sure was. Oh, I know social media bummers just because an arbitrary date passes by doesn't mean the whole world is going to change overnight. We get it. You're edgy and sad and probably take great joy in hating everything we love. Sit down. But for the rest of us, it's okay to take solace in the symbolic. Zeroing out and beginning a new year was exactly what a great many of us needed. I know I felt it. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not going to be like this catastrophic shift overnight, but it was nice to be like, okay, we're going to start some of this. I think mine started on the 24th. Or the 20th, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Mine started on the 20th. Yeah. I'm I'm in support of that too. Sometimes you just need to gather up the bad you have accumulated and put it behind you. Then take a deep breath and recognize that there is hope ahead. I don't think a single one of us ever thought we would be living through a global pandemic. No. Nobody, well, only a very nervous and select portion of the population, prepares for almost an entire year's worth of time confined to just their home. It's suffocating and frightening and lonely and just plain sad. 2020 was full of the lowest lows a lot of us have seen or will ever see. But take heart, fiends. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We have a new president. Woo. Yay. We watched the first woman vice president be sworn into office just a few short days ago. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you guys, when Kamala descended those stairs. (laughs) I'm going to cry already. (laughs) I know. I felt more feelings than I could have, I like, remotely anticipated. There were so many feelings for so many different reasons. Yep. And I think the strongest one was just seeing a woman do that. I, I don't know oh that I God. cared. I, I, I think I would have just cried any, whoever it was, just I, at least, you know, in that regard. I <laughs> cry like a baby. I was sitting at my son's tennis match in a park, not match, a uh, practice mm-hmm. in a parking lot. I know bawling. I was texting you and we were both crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if anyone looked over, they would think somebody died. <laughs> <laughs> I was on my couch and I anticipated like a tear sliding down yeah, my face. Same. I was like sniffling and sobbing. Uncontrollable. Yep. Yeah. I cried like a baby, an 80s baby at that, who was taught that I was only as good as my waistline was small and my bra bra size was big. Mm -hmm. So we all, anybody my age and probably both our age understands that like there's been quite a shift in things for ladies. Yeah. (laughs) Not as much as we need, but there has been. I think I came from the generation where women were, I, I was told a little bit more that I can do some things. I had some but I had astronaut Barbie, but she still had cleavage and a tiny waistline. Yes, of course. I also couldn't play baseball. I had to play softball. Yep. Um, but I still had, at this point in my life, I was just really frustrated as to why it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And oh, so for sure. I think that was, it was just a like, oh, thank oh, God. There was just a palpable shift in the weight of mm-hmm. any atmosphere you were sitting in. Mm-hmm. For most of us, that is. So is it is everything going to change at once? Of course not, but it's happening, and that's good. Yeah. Before we get down to the brass tacks of this episode, though, Leslie, why don't you set the stage for us? Let's look back, way back, to 2020. Oh, so long ago. Tell us what it was like. What was popular? What were we dressing like? What's What was that era? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I am breaking this up into the months. We're going to go through the year because that's how I had to remember it. I kind of forgot it was all a blur to me. There's so much. There's so much. (laughs) Okay, so on 
January 9th, the World Health Organization, WHO, announces Ooh. mysterious <laughs> coronavirus-related pneumonia in Wuhan, China. Oh, no. Guys, remember when that happened? <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, we get our first confirmed COVID case in America. Wuhan is under quarantine. WHO issues global health emergency. WHO? WHO. <laughs> But then on January 6th, NBA star Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash with his daughter Gianna and seven others. God, that was this that year. That was this year. Oh, man. But then Prince Harry and Meghan Markle said, we're leaving the family. Bye. <laughs> we were all like, how is that going to work? <laughs> we'll take you. And in March, that was all done and over with. And now we're like, I guess it's fine. <laughs> yeah. None of us cared. <laughs> no. At least in America. Don't they live in America? They might have moved to, I think they, I don't know. I don't follow that too much, but like, we like them. It's It fine. was just huge. We're like, they're leaving. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah. Um, in February, the U.S. declares a public health emergency. Travel is restricted, but not banned yet. CDC warns that COVID is reaching pandemic status. And Parasite won Best Picture. Oh. Yeah. Good for you, Parasite. Um, HBO Max announced that there will be a Friends reunion. That's excited. When did that happen? In February. It already happened? No, it didn't happen yet. They just announced that it was going to. And then we went into quarantine a month later. It couldn't be a reunion. Um, (laughs) J-Lo and Shakira did the Super Bowl halftime show. Do you remember that? I sure do. Yeah, that was great. That was a lot. In March, (laughs) who declares that we are in a pandemic now? No. A few days later, Trump declares it's a national emergency. Travel is now banned. Uh, California and New York go into, they were like the first ones to go into the full lockdown. Yeah. Um, And they are pleading with the rest of the country to take it seriously. (laughs) We're like, no. We're like, it's fine. They'll be fine in like a week or two. (sighs) Calm down, cities. Uh, The rest of the country gets a, let's shut down for like two weeks. We'll just like wear a mask. We'll stay six feet apart. Um, Maybe if we try not to leave our houses unless we're going to the grocery store. But it'll just be like a two-week thing. We'll just all be on vacation. It should be fine. That didn't happen. We never got out of it. No. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein is sentenced to 23 years in prison for sex crimes. So Good. Exciting. Ugh. A large number of people on a California cruise ship tested positive for COVID and had to quarantine on the ship for two weeks. Listen, was it a two-week cruise vacation? No, they were down to eating, like, raw onions. It was horrible. They're still, <laughs> like, suing the cruise ship. I don't blame them. Ship. That's terrible. Um, Tiger King was out. Yeah, That got us through March and April. <laughs> Tiger King. I think we all lived solely for Tiger King for yes. a little while. All the Carol Baskin songs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those of you who have um, gently nudged us in the direction of covering Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin, I'm sure that will happen at some point in time. There were so many people that covered it. I know. Right so away. we were like, meh, we're not going to do and that. there's still some things. Like, I wonder if some new stuff will come out. Like, you know, where's her husband. Maybe they'll find the Incidentally, bones. Joe Exotic did have COVID in prison. He did, yeah. He also, they, I don't know if this is real or not, I but they know. also What's said- real anymore? <laughs> they also said that he had a limo outside of the prison. I saw that! Um, on, what day would that have been? I guess the last day, right? I Trump's last day. it was inauguration day. day. Yeah. Because they thought, he thought- Which I don't think is true because even if he was ex- like exonerated- He thought Trump was going to pardon him. Pardon him, yeah. Even if he was pardoned, it takes a couple of days to go through. It's a fun story, yeah. though. <laughs> I love to believe that was happening. Yeah. I love that for him. <laughs> I imagine it was decked out in like tiger print stuff and Lisa Frank patterns or whatever. I know he they got it like they got it designed inside, yes. like totally decal. <laughs> <laughs> I just—it's a nice thought. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so the majority, so this is still March. The majority of the country now has to deal with the hell that was unemployment. I think some people still are waiting. They for sure are. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's wild. Uh, Tom Hanks got COVID, him and his wife. That, that was, was like when time. all of America was like, oh my God, we're in a pandemic. America's dad got <laughs> sick. It's not okay. Yeah. Like the World Health Organization tells us, but once Tom Hanks did it, we were like, oh, no. everyone stay home, mask up. <laughs> and we all discovered his kitchen was unremarkable. Yeah. That was a letdown. Monkeys were running wild in Thailand. Who doesn't like a monkey? Yeah. April. We're still on lockdown. The fashion is yoga pants, sweatsuits, unwashed hair, no makeup, and no bra. Gray roots. Oh, it was magical. Ooh, it was not. (laughs) Nobody had to see us. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Zoom calls were terrifying. Everyone looked like they lived in a cave. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone had their, like... Like, dark, like, no video on. <laughs> yep. Oh, we also had um, anybody that did have to do Zoom calls. So a lot of businesses did shut down. But if you did have to, like, kind of keep up with your coworkers, all of us had our our work outfits were our yoga <laughs> pants or sweatpants and then a really nice work top that then looked like. You're just like a full body, body mullet, business yeah. up top, party <laughs> down below. Yeah, exactly. We know half of you didn't have any pants on. Don't say even oh, yoga pants. for sure. And there were a lot of videos of people going to the bathroom with their computers. Oh, and Lord. forgetting that they were being videoed. No. <laughs> a lot of that happening. Don't shit while you're on Zoom. Unacceptable. But we all became home bartenders, so that's exciting. Yeah, that was fun. We have a new career. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the drinking helped us keep good spirits uh, about Hi-oh. the lack of toilet paper to be had. None of us had toilet paper. Yeah, you didn't have <laughs> toilet paper, but pretty drunk for a little while. It was fine. Yeah. Leaves worked. Oh, no. Everyone started making bread. I still have about four sourdough starters in my fridge. <laughs> all named. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, we all got really good at spending our pandemic relief money. Mm-hmm. John Krasinski was bringing us some good news. Oh, that was sweet. That was adorable. SNL did several at-home edition episodes. I loved them. Celebrities started streaming from their homes in an attempt to say, we're all in this together. They all, like you said, had really unremarkable I know. This is the year we discovered that celebrities don't live in castles with Fabergé eggs everywhere. (laughs) I'm a little disappointed. (laughs) I wanted even my, like, B-tier celebrities to at least have, like, a bunch of expensive shit in the background. Just some weird shit going on. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. Musicians realized that their livelihoods were going to be done for a while, so they began streaming concerts for tips or charity, and all of us, like, went to Facebook Live to meet up and hang out at these concerts. Yeah, that was the same with um, people who performed, like, in live theater, like Broadway performers mm -hmm. and stuff. They're still doing that, obviously. Other shows uh, were released in, like, a quarantine-style episode. So a lot of TV shows were doing, like, Zoom calls. Catfish and- nailed it. Oh, did they? I love quarantine <laughs> catfish. It's still happening. That's hilarious. I don't know if you guys know if I've mentioned this before, but catfish is, like, my guilty pleasure. That's so funny. I love them. They have a podcast now. Please please be our friend. Neve. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone was playing Animal Crossings, Call of Duty, and Among Us. Oh, yeah. Drive-by birthdays and parents became teachers. Drive-by birthdays are the um, most joyful and simultaneously saddest thing you will ever attend in your life. For children, at least. For adults, Mm -hmm. it's not as bad. But when there's a child on the lawn and they're, like, smiling, but their eyes are also very sad and every parent is sobbing, but every kid is, like, waving and screaming their hearts out, I can't even 
there are so many emotions in that. And we did a lot. Yeah. Violet went through a birthday during mm-hmm. um, like lockdown, lockdown in April. And I wore my sunglasses and cried so hard. No. Yeah. But it was it was really nice. I drove by for that. You did. You were it was there. my birthday. It was. It's also <laughs> Leslie's birthday. <laughs> um, and remember Kim Jong-un died? What? Just kidding. He didn't. Oh. Die, but everyone thought he did. <laughs> Wait a minute. We were all doing like health checks, like yeah. health and wellness checks on Kim Jong-un. We're like, wait, is he? Can someone tell us? I don't know. He, he just went it. dark for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now we're in May. We'll go a little faster on these. All right. Let's do it. U.S. COVID deaths pass 100,000 at this point now. Which is like cute now. Yeah. Um, Every night at 7 p.m., frontline workers were honored with horns and cheers from outside New York City residents' windows and apartments. That was really nice. That went on for a while. It did. My brother would send me, like, videos when he was out there. It was cute. Uh, Retail shops were allowed to open for retail and curbside pickup. Uh, Bras slowly started to make a comeback. God damn it. Jeans were still questionable. Jeans are always questionable. And there were murder (laughs) hornets. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was the year of a thousand plagues. Yes. Okay. Uh, we still have, so now we're in June. We still have no idea what is up with COVID-19. We're just <laughs> living life now. Um, Black Lives Matter protests were happening everywhere around the world. That yeah. started Following there. George Floyd's yes. murder. Uh, celebrities were getting creative with quarantine fun. Daniel Radcliffe was narrating Harry Potter books. Lena Gomez started a cooking show. Daniel Radcliffe put together Legos too, and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, he's the best. He is. Uh, now retail shops are starting to open at like limited capacity. So people mm-hmm. are like, oh, we can like leave our homes. This yeah. is exciting. Jeans were still questionable though. They're Bras were still like, do we need them? I don't know. And then we were like, yeah, we do. You need them. Unfortunately. Get your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more restaurants were allowed to have outdoor dining and uh, makeup was finally making a comeback, but everybody's skin was, like, looking great. I wore they makeup went, like, every day, even over quarantine. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I never stopped getting dressed and putting makeup on. I thought it was hilarious how many of my friends were just like, my skin looks amazing after, like, two months of no makeup. Yeah, well. <laughs> and we just did face masks all the time. I'll, that'll do it. All right, July. Hamilton. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. We all got to watch Hamilton. Like a thousand times. Oh, Hamilton. <laughs> Uh, the government released the UFO videos that Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 had been screaming about for years. Listen, I can't be talking about that. Yep. We have aliens, Ali. Listen, that can be one of your episodes. <laughs> we learned that COVID might now be airborne. That's exciting. Hmm. Um, that the antibodies might drop after three months instead of like, we have antibodies. We're good now. And everyone was so mad about fireworks. They were like, fireworks are everywhere all the time. Oh, yeah. The fireworks were big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Regis Philman died. I like forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Guys. <laughs> and uh, parents were seriously over their children. July was rough, but we had Hamilton, so yeah, it's we okay. Did. I was it's okay. Sure. And aliens. I don't want the aliens. <laughs> Get out of here. August was a little short, too, because this is also where, like, we're just kind of surviving at this point. Mm-hmm. School might or might not be happening. We mm-hmm. weren't sure. The actor, Chadwick Bosman. Bozeman, sorry, dies at 43 from colon cancer. That was devastating. That was super devastating. Um, and WAP dropped. And yes, that was did. really, that kind of brought things back. We were like, Everybody oh, was on girl. TikTok. It was great. Doing that crazy dance. The dirtiest song since OPP. I mean, who doesn't love a filthy, <laughs> filthy song? Yeah. Who doesn't? I guess a lot of us, but, <laughs> but we like it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> September. 
Schitt's Creek wins all the Emmys. I also kind of cried a little bit for that. Yeah. <laughs> I cried a little bit for days as I saw those videos. I know. I was just like, you all deserve this so <laughs> much. <laughs> I don't know you. See, this is what our TikTok videos could be. <laughs> Someone help us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put an ad out. We are looking for uh, an extra team member to help us oh, with some yeah, social yeah. media stuff. So <laughs> keep an eye out for that. We don't pay anything. No. <laughs> but a good time. All right. Everyone thought that maybe Jen and Brad might be getting back together. I don't of even that remember table that. Reading. They had a table reading of oh. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I think earlier in the year, they went to some show where we're seen like pictured together. Mm-hmm. And then they saw them on this Zoom reading, table reading. And it was like the cutest thing. Oh. And they had like a cute little moment. And everybody was like, oh my God, they're getting back together. And our lives will be like it was in the 90s. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. The kids go back to school. Most of them virtual. Yeah. I was going to say, did they? (laughs) October. Trump and Melania test positive for COVID. Borat was at it again. Oh, that's right. Borat came back into our lives. He did. And there was that really uncomfortable scene with Rudy Giuliani. And whether he was putting his hands down his pants for a sexual purpose or just tucking in a shirt, I will forever be scarred. I didn't watch it. It was horrible. It's too awkward for me. You know I can't watch that stuff. That's true. It was very awkward. (laughs) Um, and then we have that lovely TikTok video of Nathan Apodaca, sorry, A-P-O-D-A-C-A of Idaho, who was just skateboarding to work, drinking an ocean spray, cran juice, oh. and listening and singing to Fleetwood Mac. Oh, he was And we were just all here for it. We were. I love that that video is nothing happening. Nothing. And all of us were like, look at that guy. Yeah. We need help. We need help. <laughs> November. <laughs> Every American was given a chance to vote for the first time in history. That was exciting. Yeah, indeed. We all remembered we had to vote. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really enjoyed mailing it in. It was like— I went to the mailbox and, like, put it in there myself. That's what—yeah, that was fun. I liked it. It was a nice moment. I like just drinking my coffee at home and my PJs. I also live— Me my daily attire. (laughs) I live in, like, a very, very Trumpy neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so my polling place, like, where I go to vote, I know that I am— like a blue yeah. fish in a sea yeah. of red. And so I would have been extremely nervous to go and vote in person, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. I mean, I'm always like, oh, God, I know that these people are like you. But like not that they can see who you vote for, no. but you just feel it. You feel it burning into your skin. And this year, I would have been terrified. So mm-hmm. it was nice to just go to the library and put it in the mailbox. Yeah. Take a little picture, get a coffee fun. on the way home. Loved it. Yeah. It was so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that maybe it'll just be like a BuzzFeed quiz where it'll just be like, which candidate matches your personality? And that's like your vote. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let BuzzFeed have control of our voting rights. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Moderna, the uh, vaccine that we have now. Is that the one released. where Dolly saved our lives? What? Didn't Dolly Parton fund one of them? Oh, is that the Dolly yes. vaccine? I don't know. I don't. I didn't write that in there. Okay. I forgot about her, but she did do a bunch of stuff. She donated a crazy amount of money and like funded she did, one of them. Yeah. Um, but Moderna uh, released the first um, percentage wise. They said that they had a ninety five success ninety five percent success rate. Great. So that was great. Um, and then Alex Trebek died. Twenty twenty wasn't as happy as I like. There was really hard to find. No, some it's great awful. Moments. All right, December. <laughs> We're almost done, you We're guys. Almost done, guys. It's almost over. <laughs> we start giving out vaccines, so that was nice. Beautiful. We did lose Ellen Page, but we gained Elliot Page, so that was exciting. We did. Yes. What a nice moment that was, mm-hmm. too. 
Wonder Woman comes out at Christmas. Um, and that was cool. That was one of those movies that came out same day in theaters. So some theaters had been opened. Yeah, that's a thing now. So they uh, came out in theaters, but also HBO Max did it for streaming. And a lot of uh, movies are going that route, yeah. which was nice. Um, and I unfortunately was a little disappointed in the movie. But so was most yet. of Reddit. Yeah, it was Reddit enjoyable. Was I, I, was, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then I was also just like, oh, how did this ever get put it on screen. So many thoughts. I was like, there's so many women in that room. How did anybody think that any of this was okay? Oh, no. Anyway, Bob Dylan sold his entire catalog for over 300 mil. Um, He's just like 79 now. He don't care. He's like, what am I going to do with this? Give me $300 million. I love it. I love that he did that. Yeah. Uh, Christmas happened, I think. Sort of. I think, right? Yeah. We had it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I forgot. Um, (laughs) We came. we, We saw you. Yeah. That's about um, it. <laughs> there was some really awkward uh, New Year's Eve, like live. I don't know all the all the stations did so some awkward. weird. Yeah, all of them were so weird. I think we watched the um, who's the MTV guy? Oh, I don't remember Carson Daly. Oh my god, we watched. He's his. still around. It was sponsored by TikTok. It was weird. Oh lord, Anderson Cooper and whoever he did it with, which wasn't Kathy Griffin this time. It was like Wasn't some he other with, guy, um, Andy Cohen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they took like shots on air. Love <laughs> it's that. Like, nobody gives yes. shit anymore. And um, and yeah, we ended the year with like jeans still being kind of questionable, mostly because we just don't fit into them anymore. <laughs> no, we don't. No. Um. So that was that's our 2020 in review. Yeah. <laughs> in case you guys um blocked it out, <laughs> <laughs> because I think all of us are like, no, we're very traumatized. Yeah. I don't want to remember anything. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. I really feel like I can get into that headspace now. Good. <laughs> All the Tiger King and sweatpants aside, one of the biggest takeaways from horrible and messy 2020 was obviously the vast majority of the human race's struggle with COVID-19, a virus so deadly and terrifying that I don't even have a basis for comparison for it. I mean, we covered plagues and pandemics. We've talked about countless killers, but nothing seems to come close to this. We have lived a nightmare. Mm-hmm. One that is not yet over, and none of us have walked away unscathed. But at least we know what celebrities' living rooms look like. That's my takeaway, apparently. That is. I know. That's a letdown. Please, celebrities, go put, like, golden statues and Fabergé eggs on all your shelves. I need that in my life. I need that kind of hope (laughs) right now. Um, And what's funny about this episode, before I finish, is that um, we originally said we were going to do the first half as, like, a history of vaccination, and then the second half just about the COVID vaccine. But then— Upon conducting our interviews, we realized that there just isn't the bandwidth to cover more of history when we're living history right now. Yeah. So we decided to stay with what is happening and air our uh, our Dr. Friends interviews in full. So with the pressure on to end this Night of the Living Dead scenario we're all facing, scientists and Dolly Parton's bank account buckled down and banned their brains together to create a vaccine, which isn't an easy or brief task. We knew it would take time and testing to happen, but somehow, in less than a year, this far-off possibility became a reality. Science is amazing, you guys. Put that on a t-shirt. I'll buy 10. (laughs) Look, I'm not going to go into what our previous president and his administration did to medical science as an institution, or how poorly they organized the rollout of this fucking miracle we have been gifted, or how little they did to combat the swirling rumor-fueled fear monsters that the internet breathed life into and panicked citizens the world over nurtured. But we are going to counter that with some reliable information today. Fiends, I know you're scared. I'm scared. Leslie's scared. It's been a tough time. 
But we want to make you feel better today and take some steps forward. None of you are alone. You have us. And we're going to get through this. We're all in this together. <laughs> Leslie loves the song. Because we have a platform and all of you to listen and to share, we felt responsible in a small way and thought if we can help, we should. So we invited two of our doctor friends on the podcast to answer your questions and allay your fears about the COVID-19 vaccine. Some of you have already gotten your first dose, which is great. And if you did or when you do, send us your picture to share because we're proud of you and we want to gas you up for doing the rest of us a huge solid and contributing to all of our safety. I don't need to tell you about COVID, you know. Even if you have stuck your fingers in your ears and la-la-la'd your way through everything so far and Leslie's recap, you still know what COVID is. What I want to address mostly and what I tried to lead this episode with is the danger of unfounded fear. Fear can drive us to do some pretty crazy and dangerous things and allows us to put our trust in answers that simply cover up a problem without solving it. Yes, fear can be a helpful response. We have it for a reason. But you wouldn't follow your neighbor blindly off a cliff because they ran into your house and yelled at you to come with them. Don't let fear do that to you either. The only thing that kills fear is information. You surely would ask that screaming neighbor why in God's name you needed to follow them, why they were yelling, and who gave them the keys to your house, right? Okay, so let's apply that in other places then. We have previously conducted interviews with Dr. Stephen McBride and Dr. Lisa Diano. Our friends will likely recognize Dr. Diano from previous moments of medical uncertainty when I shouted, please correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Lisa, or more likely, <laughs> help us, Dr. Lisa. <laughs> she always helps us, and we're very lucky. Special thanks go out to everyone who sent us their questions. I think I managed to get all of them. Um, so now, without further ado, here is everything you wanted to know about the COVID vaccine but had no one to ask. These are mostly uncut interviews, I would say. Save a couple of like ums and moments where technology wasn't our friend. Mm -hmm. We're going to air their full responses to all of your questions. And they're great. They're so great. Please listen to every single thing they have to say. And thank you guys again. I hope you learn and enjoy. Leslie and I sure did feel reassured after speaking to them. Yeah. Yeah. So here you go. I'm Stephen McBride. I'm a uh, physician who works in the emergency department and has since this whole messy pandemic started. Wow. Fun. How's that going? <laughs> um, a lot better over the since December 24th when I got my first vaccine. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since then, it's kind of been uh, a little bit of a a little bit of a shit show. But oh no, uh, but not you know, it's kind of what we signed up to do. Part of the fun of the emergency department is you never know what's coming in the door. Uh, I just didn't expect you know eight million Americans to come walking through the door. This <laughs> yeah, wild. I don't know uh, that any anyone expected this. <laughs> no, but this is the kind of thing that they train you for too. So. Were you very, very crowded? Did you experience, like, I know some places were more overrun than others? I was lucky. So I work in some of the uh, hospitals around Indianapolis. And I did work in some of the central hospitals in March and April. Okay. Um, but, but since then, like throughout this last kind of surge, and I'm calling it the last surge, not the second, because I really hope it will be the last, um, I've been in the surrounding area. So it's had its own challenges. But no, it's not been one of those, you know, people dying in the hallways because we don't oh, just, don't, uh, you know, carry them out kind of thing. That's good. Yeah. The, the biggest struggle that we have is, oh, you've got something simple like appendicitis. It sure would be great if we had 
a hospital with beds and a surgeon that I could send you to instead of having you wait in the emergency department for 24 hours. Um, so that's that's been some of the bigger struggle in the the area surrounding the city. Yikes. Well, that's wow. tough. So um, we have some questions that people sent us. Absolutely. I'm going to ask them to you. Sure. Uh, the first one is, how long is it until the vaccine is effective after you get it? That's a good question. Um, and it, broad strokes, it's very individualized. Um, so it's your own immune response that kind of gives us that answer. Um, if you look at the Pfizer data, there's at least a hint that around like 12 to 14 days after your first dose is when you probably start getting that response. But because we needed to get this vaccine out quickly, we didn't wait for you know, a thousand people to be infected throughout this trial to say exactly when. We do know that seven days after your second dose, that it's you know 95% uh, efficacious. So as far as when you can kind of breathe that sigh of relief, I'd wait until about seven days after your second dose and still, and even then uh, mask up because it's not 100% effective. Okay. And I think like the overwhelming, just leading in from what you said, the overwhelming question we got the most of was this is came about in such a short amount of time. How do we know that we're safe? How do we know that it's okay? Yeah. <laughs> You're nodding a lot. You get that yeah. frequently? <laughs> no, and, uh, from everywhere, right? So mm -hmm. the kind of like creeping doubt uh, into everyone's mind, into like society's mind was, this feels a little rushed and doesn't yeah. take, you know, 10 to 20 years for a, a vaccine to come out. What corners did they cut? Who are like, are they experimenting on the, the human population, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And uh, the answer is they cut the corners in the exact right spots and is to say like they didn't really cut any corners. So let me back up and say like how Operation Warp Speed and all of this actually came to be. So usually as a business, vaccines don't make very much money. So anyone saying that like Pfizer and Moderna are doing this because they want like a huge cash cow are completely wrong. Vaccines aren't how these companies make money at all, like even a little bit. Okay. When compared to like these novel, you know, crazy drugs that they come out with, uh, vaccines don't make very much money. So it takes a while to prove to the vaccine company, let it maybe Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, whoever, that this vaccine works. It's very good. It's very safe. And you're not going to lose money on it. And that takes a long time to prove to the big wigs and the suits that this is something that's not going to lose you money and you should do it. So what the U.S. government did and basically what the world came together and all of the scientists said, hey, let's take that financial burden away from you guys. You don't need to invest two, four billion dollars in this. We'll promise that we'll pay you the two billion dollars. So like you're good. You got the $2 billion, just make a good vaccine that's safe and that works. And so it doesn't take the five to 10 years for, uh, for um, you know, benchtop scientists to go, hey, we really should be doing this, guys. And they're like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's going to like sell or whatever. We're going to lose a lot of money. The, the companies can just go, oh, like our bottom line is paid for. Let's just do the science right. And 
And that's how they were able to do phase one and phase two trials, which is how they figure out, is it broadly speaking safe? And does it work uh, like in a very small population? And then they don't have to wait the, you know, like however long they would need to wait because the government said, no, you don't need to you know, wait an, another year. Just go to phase three trials. These phase three trials have been tested in 30,000 and 40,000 people each, like in the, in the Pfizer and Moderna, with very, very few adverse effects um, and with like remarkable data, uh, remarkable efficacy for, for both of those vaccines. And the, the other ones that are coming down the pipeline, I haven't had the chance to, uh, to analyze that data, but, but the real like the rushed part of it is just because it takes a long time for CEOs to, to finance something like that, because usually they, they would lose money, but <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about that. Um, and so they can just, they can focus on just the science. Let's get a really good vaccine. Um, and let's do a really good phase three trial, which because of the data that came out, a lot of these doctors, nurses, um, et cetera, who are notoriously very skeptical and, and comb through things and take a while to be convinced had access to the data and went, oh, I see exactly what you did. I see the like the trial participants. I see all of the numbers, and the numbers are good, and I'm in. That was remarkably reassuring. I know. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this. Yes, me too. Um, um, actually, what like made you guys want to do this? I think we just like to be helpful when and where we can, and we saw a lot of people that were very confused and thought, well, we know people that can help that, so we should. And we had done we had done a uh, past episode on like other pandemics as well, and I think this was just kind of like a follow up. So we're gonna look into other vaccines or yeah, we'll start with history stuff first because that's kind of how we work. Um, and then there'll be this portion. So yeah, yeah. We don't just talk about murders, so. (laughs) We do 100 years. There's going to be podcasts talking about, you know, why did the 400,000 people die in one year? Um, Mm -hmm. What was going on? Yeah, what was beneath the surface? Yeah. We do what we can. (laughs) They'll be referencing us. Yeah. Oh, God. Fingers crossed. All 25 people who listen to us. Just kidding. It's more than that. Yeah. Okay, what else do I have? Uh, someone said, how long after you receive both doses will it be effective for? Oh, good question. Um, so, like, how for how long um, after you get it will you be mm-hmm. um, Yeah, they they also said, like, in a little extra one, do you, will you need, like, boosters after that? Yeah, so the the short answer is we don't know. I can say what I think based on what we already know from the past hundred years of uh, microbiology, but technically it hasn't been studied for an extended period of time. So I can't say that that is because it just, we don't have the data, but here's something I do know. The common misconception of the flu vaccine is that the vaccine only gives you antibodies for that six months. Really what happens is after that six month flu season, uh, a different flu comes around. And so you still could, and 
maybe do have antibodies for, you know, let's say you got the flu vaccine for the last five years, you might have some antibodies floating around for the last couple of years flu. Uh, so it's not that the flu vaccine itself kind of wears off in a couple of months. It's more that just a different flu comes around. The second thing is when we're looking at the second, when you get both doses of the vaccine, your the level of antibodies are anywhere from five to 15, maybe up to 20 times as many antibodies as you get from just getting like the COVID virus, um, from just getting infected. So my hope and suspicion is it will last a long time, but we're tentatively saying this might be something you'll need to get a year from now if we haven't nipped the pandemic in the bud. But again, we don't, I don't know, we don't have hard data because we only have a couple of months of, you know, looking at some of these people who have had the vaccine. Great. Um, <laughs> I feel silly even asking some of these. They're kind of wonky, but they're I kind, kind of what promoted us to do this. People want to know what happens if it alters their DNA. No. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel dumber just saying it, but you know, it's out there, so... No, but also, I mean, we're asking hundreds of millions of people, most of whom have no background in science at all. Um, and a lot of people are throwing out a lot of very technical terms. And by the way, if I'm ever getting too kind of sciencey, you know, talk me down because um, I'm like steeped in this stuff. Uh, and so <laughs> go for it. I can go on, but I don't want to, to lose people, right? So um, there's a lot of different kind of conspiratorial uh, like lines of thinking. And not all of them mean bad. Not all of them are disinformation. Some of them are just misinformation. They're all very loud, though. Yes, 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 they are. Um, everyone's kind of screaming into the, the ether. Um, yep. But kind of like what you guys do, which is to say, you know, there are five eyewitness accounts to what happened. And one of them said it was this person. So you might've heard that it's this person, but we did the research and four people, the entire police force and all the evidence actually points in a different direction. And so right now we've got a lot of people on the internet that have only heard that one person who was trying to sell their book rights uh, and, um, you know, get famous um, when the rest of the evidence doesn't really look that way. So the altering your DNA is, it's an interesting kind of theory um, that stems from a lot of the negativity towards genetically modified organisms, which are not really a, a, a bad thing um, just on their own. Just we're all genetically modified organisms. And in fact, we have many proteins that we make that scientists have traced back to like different bacterium and, and different viruses that have invaded us and kind of changed things. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, even if the vaccine did that, but that's not what the vaccine does. So RNA is different than DNA. If DNA is the building blocks of life, RNA is kind of the schematics of the building blocks of life. And so what you do when you get it injected into your arm, this RNA is it provides a template for your body to build this protein, the spike protein, which you've probably heard about and probably seen on any kind of cartoon representation of COVID. It's got those little spikes on the outside. Mm -hmm. 
So all it does is it it basically I've I've seen it said where it, it sends an email to your body that says, hey, this thing's coming down the, the the track. Here's how you build it, here's how you recognize it. And then the email itself just deletes itself. The mRNA in your body will not last very long at all. Um, that's why it needs to be stored so cold. Uh, if you've heard of those trucks that need to be negative 80 degrees, because it doesn't last long, it breaks down really, really quickly. So it tells you how to make the spike protein. Your own body makes just the spike protein. Uh, and then your immune response says, oh, that's the guy. Great. I'm going to figure out how to beat it. But let me know if it ever comes back. And then the booster shot is, no, really, this this spike protein, you're going to really need to know about it. And it's like, all right. And then your immune system kind of like, <laughs> all right, let's, let's finally beat this guy and, and have him never come back. Um, so no, it does not get anywhere near the nucleus of your cell, which is where all the DNA are. And um, I've heard it said by a virologist that the virologist whose job it is to try to change DNA, she says, like, if I wanted to, I would have a harder time getting someone's DNA to change than than this vaccine. Like, this vaccine is an awful way, even if I wanted to change someone's DNA to do it. And this is someone who, like, messes with cells and messes with DNA in a lab. They're like, that's not how we would do that at all. Well, that's Excellent. reassuring. There you go. <laughs> I know you were so scared. I'm so scared. <laughs> Oh, that's great. What about the people that think they're getting microchipped? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a serious well, question. I mean, but there's a lot there, right? Like there's so many people who have this kind of distrust of, of everyone um, who's like, it's got to be Bill Gates, this person who is the one billionaire who probably cares more about humanity than any yeah. other billionaire. Um, yeah. And for him, like he's like, there's so many conspiracy theories about him but there's so much distrust of like everyone, like you can't be giving out free vaccines because there's gotta be a microchip in it. Um, none of the doctors are, you know, allowing you to have the prescription hydroxychloroquine you want. So they must all be part of the deep state. And I think my, my time as a physician has led me to have more of an optimistic viewpoint. I think most people who got into healthcare did that because they want to help people, not because they want to be part of some big pharma conspiracy. But it's got to be really tough for those people to kind of think that like they're being so oppressed by this like huge conspiracy um, that's just all out to get them. Um, and so I try to to kind of meet them where they're at because people who believe these things kind of don't believe it in a vacuum. They've been fed a lot of this like their entire life. And so I try not to you know, hate or think negatively toward them, but just try to explain fact by fact that like the government doesn't need a microchip. Um, mm -hmm. It gotcha. <laughs> That's what I always tell people. Like they already have everything. It's fine. Carry around your phone. <laughs> they can find you. Yeah. Got a security number. You've like. Yeah. But, I I'm not yeah. interesting enough. Yeah, Nobody wants to born, know what I'm doing. <laughs> they got you. But also the needle for a, a microchip is actually a lot bigger than the needle for a vaccine. Yes. Um, uh, for uh, things like actually do microchip things. Um, like the, the pets. Needle, yes, exactly. The needle's a lot bigger. <laughs> so, uh, so you're probably safe. Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, someone said once... I have gotten the virus. Like, so if they already had it, should I still be vaccinated? Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Because like I was saying, um, the antibody response is so much better with the vaccine. Getting the what we call like the wild type virus, like the virus that you'd find out in the wild, it probably definitely protects you for about 90 days. But there's a lot of examples, a lot of case reports of people getting it after that 90 days. Now, most people who get it twice don't get it that seriously. Although, if you're one of the unfortunate people who has died from this virus, then of course you're not going to get it twice, right? So most of the people are young and healthy and out doing their thing and they've gotten it twice. So they do pretty well with it. Um, but that's still the chance that you can spread it to other people, um, those who might not be as lucky. So we're kind of at this uh, arms race between viruses and humans. Viruses are very good at not only infecting, but also shutting down your own immune system. So what the coronavirus does is it actually gets into the areas of your body that make these immune cells, and it suppresses the production of those. Mm. At the end of the day, you don't make as many antibodies as you should if you had just gotten the vaccine. So that we know will likely wear off after maybe three months. And so it is recommended to get the vaccine if you have already gotten the virus. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, certainly. Next. I don't have anybody's names on these questions. So you guys, thank you so much for sending them. I hope you all listen and you can, I don't know, comment somewhere like, <laughs> that was mine. If you want to claim it, that's fine. Does the vaccine, after it is effective, prevent you from being an asymptomatic carrier? Uh, good question. So that's the big hot button topic right now. Well, that's where they got it from then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is another one of those we don't know the answer to that. So the way that the study was powered, and six, but essentially to prove something, you need a certain number of things to prove that uh, the vaccine helps reduce the amount of asymptomatic carriers of this virus or asymptomatic spreaders, uh, they would, Pfizer and Moderna would have to basically test every study participant on like a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And there's just not enough money in the world to do that for 40,000 people on short notice. It takes money. It takes manpower. It takes everyone to actually be kind of agreeable to get tested and get nose swabbed every week or every other week. So instead, what they did is they said, if you have symptoms, get tested. And if you test positive, we'll include that in uh, the numbers. So they did not look at asymptomatic spreading. Now, what we know from a lot of the microbiology that we've learned over the last 100 or so years is that that's very unlikely, but it's still not 100%. And so that's another reason why they're saying still masks, still social distance, at least until we know that the percent of everyone with coronavirus is down to such a level that you are unlikely to run into someone with it at the grocery store. Um, so the, the long answer is probably not, but there's a lot that we don't know. And the short answer is we just don't know yet. So yeah. still kind of do like what we were saying and act like you have it, uh, mask up, uh, and just know that at any given point, you could be shedding the virus until we know more. And I'm sure that that's being studied right now. Great. Oh, I have never heard of this before, but someone wanted me to ask if you know anything about a study that researches nicotine preventing the spread of COVID, as in like patches, not just if you're like a smoker. 
So, yeah, so um, not specifically, but I know that there are a lot of what we call kind of signals in this uh, pandemic, Um, as in there might be a signal that something works really well, but then you test it a little bit more and it doesn't really work as well as we had hoped. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, the list goes on of things that we thought might work pretty well because it either inhibited COVID-19 in a Petri dish or it worked well in animals or there was a very small study in humans where it might have worked. And then you study it more and you find out it doesn't actually uh, make that much of a difference. So I am unaware of any convincing evidence that nicotine uh, is good for either the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. There are... I'm just kind of um, looking through some of the evidence right now. Oh, okay. Which is about as much as I had thought there was going to be since I hadn't heard much about it. So the question was um, about nicotine and COVID-19, which is going to be about the same answer as there is for hydroxychloroquine and COVID-19, ivermectin and COVID-19, essential oils and COVID-19, which is to say that not that essential oils are bad, but they just don't cure. We talked about multi-level marketing. It's fine. You can say they're bad. Um, (laughs) They smell great. Um, (laughs) But uh, what I was talking about before is like, so there's a pandemic. So everyone wants there to be a silver bullet and everyone wants there to be like, oh, we finally made the breakthrough that's going to stop this whole thing. And it's going to be wonderful. And what you see when you study so much is you're going to start to see little signals of, oh, maybe this will help. Um, And it will be like, because uh, hydroxychloroquine um, inhibits COVID-19 in a Petri dish or in a study with 20 people in which 19 of them got hydroxychloroquine or something like that. And you're going to see the signals of, hey, I found something. Can we take a closer look? And as scientists, that happens all the time, and that's fantastic, uh, because that's how we know that things might work. And then we study them, and we remove some of those biases, and we study them on a much bigger scale, and we say, yes, it does work. No, it doesn't work. The big reason why there was a huge fiasco over hydroxychloroquine is because right as the medical community was going, oh, yes, we've seen that signal that something might work but we studied it and it really doesn't work. That's when the then president said, uh, hydroxychloroquine is the best thing in the world and everyone should take it, including your mom. And, and so everyone in the scientific community took a step back and said, there's not really, there's not really great data. I can see where you might think that that's the case, but it's really not. And then it became a whole political thing because if you said that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. You obviously work some uh, leftist commie. Um, <laughs> but but I, I say all that to say that this happens all the time where there's a little spike of something that may, it may work. And maybe there's a plausible theory for why it might work, but it needs more study. Um, for instance, you might remember that people were saying, don't use ibuprofen for COVID-19 very early on in the disease mm-hmm. because ibuprofen uh, basically, it has to do with the, one of the ACE receptors, which is where COVID binds. And they thought that if this uh, made it easier for COVID to bind, if taking ibuprofen made it easier, 
then that would be disastrous. And so people said, just don't take ibuprofen. And then we studied it and we found out, never mind. Um, that really doesn't matter. Oh, that's good. See, I never heard the, the, the second part yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. And that's because it's probably like... We're learning. We are. We're learning together. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. And so, so similarly, um, you know, we study some things and we it turns out that that actually, uh, you know, we thought it would help and it actually hurts. We thought that steroids would work uh, for everyone. As it turns out, steroids really, there's a sweet spot where steroids work, but if you give it too early, it can actually worsen your outcome. Mm. And so we've got to be very careful with this kind of thing. There's now a wave of people saying ivermectin, uh, which is another antiparasitic, might help with hydroxychloroquine. But the long and the short of it is, nicotine is another one of those where there is a there's a plausible theory as to how it might work because nicotine has something to do with those ACE receptors too. Uh, it looks like there's some studies that are ongoing. So I'll withhold judgment because there might be a study that says, yeah, it reduces death by 10% and it, um, you know, it reduces transmission of uh, COVID. I think it's- We're going to take that out as a sound bite now and just put it with like the <laughs> nicotine research. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Our creative editor is going to have a fun yeah. time. <laughs> so the long and the short of it is there's going to be a lot of that. I don't think it's as likely with nicotine because a lot of people smoke and smokers actually do a lot worse with COVID-19. Now, smoking also damages your lungs and maybe the, the patch doesn't, but I, I have a feeling it won't pan out, but also I haven't seen any evidence for or against it. So the big thing that I want to drive home, and again, it's kind of central to why we're talking, is even the best evidence that we've done, the best trials that have the most patients and have shown the greatest decrease in people dying, in people being in the hospitals, and people being intubated um, or being put on life support, is maybe a couple percent. The best that we've got might reduce death by 10%, um, which is not a ton. But still good. We still give dexamethasone to these patients, and we still try some other things that probably don't work as well as we'd like um, to like maybe reduce that percent by a little bit more. But the best we've got is the vaccine. Even for people that are sick um, and for people that have never gotten it, there's nothing else that will work as well. There's no medication that you can take on a daily basis that will work, and there's no better way to get whatever your priority is. If you are really about wanting to see your friends, there's a great way. It's to make sure you all have antibodies. Or uh, if your big thing is, by golly, I really just want this economy to keep going, whatever that means uh, to you, then the best way is to get everyone vaccinated so we can all get back to work. And if your thing is, I don't want to see my friends die anymore, then again, vaccine is the way to do it. We have things that can reduce your risk of, of death just a little bit, but it's not nearly as much as, as we would like um, based, based on pills, um, pills and you know IV medications and things like that. So the vaccine is the way to go. And I know, you know there may be people that say that I've sold out to big pharma or-, uh, or what, Not our people. We no, have good but, people. But at this point, it's- has been given to probably, I think now it's over 11 million people. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. And 
while we might not have great long-term data, and we can talk about that if you guys want, but if there was any like indication that, again, this mRNA doesn't live long, if it was going to do something wild to a certain amount of the population, we would have seen that, that signal already in the 11 million people, but we haven't yet. So don't start smoking. <laughs> Correct. No. That's the bottom line I want uh, is do <laughs> drugs. Um, this has been an after-school special by Stephen McBride. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. That was great. I do. We do have one I, that's asked about possible long-term effects, but I yeah. don't know if they meant side effects or what they meant, but that's what they said. So No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the big thing is a lot of people, again, people that don't necessarily know the scientific data, but they're just a little uneasy about the whole thing. And they've heard that there could be long-term effects. And they're like, but I haven't heard any doctor or any person in authority say that there won't be long-term effects. So so I'm now even more distrustful of the whole thing. Well, here's where I come in on that is you're absolutely right. There's no data on long-term effects just because the vaccine hasn't been around that long. But we know that there are long-term effects of COVID, even if you want to say that the death rate is only whatever, wherever you get your, your facts, even if it's only 1% uh, or even 0.1%, a large percentage of the population are having long-term uh, lung damage, long-term fatigue, exercise intolerance. People aren't able to smell, or if they can smell, it, they're smelling things that used to smell good that no longer smell good. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so th it's not just like, oh, well, the death rate's not that bad. We're seeing a lot of people, athletes with heart damage. Um, like, like there are long-term effects of COVID that we know and that we've proven. There's no way that any vaccine is going to have long-term effects as bad as that when we haven't seen any real bad short-term effects from the vaccine. I want to take this a uh, brief second to talk about infertility. Um, yeah, go ahead. I know that you guys have heard about that. That's another one of those kind of myth things that have evolved on the internet for almost no reason except to scare people. Mm. And that is that the vaccine might um, make you infertile. So the reason that someone said that, and this was someone who used to work at Pfizer but now doesn't, um, he said that this protein that we're making, the spike protein, looks a little bit like the placenta protein. And it, your body could fight both of those at the same time. It might get confused and you might never have a baby ever again. And of course, that's like the most tragic thing, the most tragic long-term effect that you could ever uh, suspect other than the zombie apocalypse from this vaccine. Wait, is that going to happen? Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay. Uh, but... The, the similarities between the, the two proteins are like, it's like saying that you are the same as a chair because I see legs on both of you. Uh, and you're like, yes, that's technically true, but that's nowhere near, like it's, it is very, very dissimilar. In fact, the American College of uh, Obstetrics and Gynecology, as well as the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, which are two societies that love to protect mothers and uh, expectant mothers, are both have said that people should have access to this vaccine if they're pregnant um, and that they should not be denied this vaccine. 
even though it hasn't been studied in this population, because they know that the risk of COVID in pregnancy is so much worse than if you were not pregnant. And the risk of the vaccine is really not that much. As another aside, people have gotten COVID with that spike protein, developed antibodies to that spike protein, and gotten pregnant afterward. So if the vaccine is going to cause infertility, COVID should have been causing infertility this whole time, and we don't see that either. So that whole thing is, again, it's going to be hard for you to find a, a doctor who says that's definitely not the case because we don't have hard data to prove it one way or another, but it doesn't make sense, and it's very, very, very unlikely. Okay. That's great. my soapbox. I'm going to get off it. But if you're that was great. No, Thank I you. Told you. Whatever you need to say. thinking about having kids uh, and, and you really want this vaccine, but you've heard some stuff, don't believe that stuff. Um, and I can even give you guys a fun infographic uh, that has yeah. been spread around that goes over like the risks and benefits. And it doesn't say like everyone who's thinking about preg getting pregnant needs this, uh, but it goes over what are the risks and what are the benefits and you know, lets you make your own choice. I think it was someone uh, up in Massachusetts who who made this, um, uh, but I can spread it along to you guys if you want to uh, put it in like the show notes or whatever you guys have. Yeah, that's great. Any like hard copy stuff you want to send us, just send it along and we can attach it to either a photo suite of this or its own post or whatever. But yeah, anything you got, send it our way. It's like of all of the medications that and, and therapeutics that we have as a society ever recommended, this is easily one of the safest and most effective like in history it's good well that's good to hear well i feel better i know you were having a, you were having a moment yeah. <laughs> so look if we helped you yeah then we will help more people Perfect. knowing is half the battle absolutely so what is your optimism on the vaccine like like working I don't know, getting us back to a normal life again. So what I had just recently read was mm -hmm. that 70% of the population mm -hmm. needs to become immune to this for us to feel better that we can just go back to everyday living. We don't have to worry about COVID. Mm -hmm. kind of kind of back to like what the, maybe what the flu is like now. We just get a sure. shot. And mm -hmm. <laughs> um, But the hard part is, is that, you know, we can all take the first round and maybe the majority of us will but there is, we have to take two rounds and doesn't studies show that almost only 10% of the people that took the first round even take the second round? Or is that like a That's insane. weird Why number would you that, do that I got? That, that might be a weird number that you got. Okay. Uh, most of the people who at least have been studied has, has gotten both. Now, okay. it, it is true that so far, a very small percentage of people have had the second shot who have gotten the first one, but that's just uh, a, a factor of the fact that this just ruled out. Right. Ago. Okay. So, so like almost everyone in the last month has gotten their first shot, but people have only started getting their second shot, I think in the last maybe two weeks. Okay. Now in terms of kind of optimism of, you know, going forward first, when this does go away, and maybe it won't go away, but maybe it'll kind of be simmering in the background like the flu does, I think we'll be a lot better in the future of going, oh, no, I've got a sore throat. I'm going to wear a mask because whatever I've got, whether it's the flu, COVID-19, COVID-2021. 20, um, huh. Yeah, right. Um, no mores. 
whatever I've got, I don't want to transmit to you. Um, if you had said a year ago that you weren't feeling well and you started to wear a mask, like no one would have looked at you normally. Now I think it's going to be more accepted as kind of the right thing to do, especially as we get into like kind of flu season. Right. So there are some silver linings, some things that I think we've learned as a society that will help. The other thing about getting to herd immunity is there we're already 20% of the way because 20% of America has gotten COVID-19. So 20% of people hypothetically have some sort of antibody response. Now the trick is going to be getting this vaccine out quick enough that COVID doesn't have enough time to kind of mutate around and, uh, and kind of evade the vaccine. I think it's likely, well, my hope is, I'll say, um, that this COVID-19 turns into kind of walking pneumonia or pertussis as one of those things that most people have a vaccine for. But every now and again, there's kind of a cluster in some college dorm because people's, you know, didn't have their booster shot or something like that. I've had both of those things. Fun. They're so fun, aren't they? Um, <laughs> no, they're terrible, but whatever. But You um, would. I know. I had terrible luck. It's fine. You have societies like uh, New Zealand, um, uh, China now, Korea, where they've said, we've just got to shut it out and get it completely out of our society until everyone's vaccinated. We obviously have taken a different route. Um, <laughs> But so and so that's the reason why I don't think we'll ever really get rid of it is because there's always it's it's going to be very tough to get greater than, let's say, 80 percent of the population vaccinated. I still think we should try. But as long as there's people who kind of are anti-science, there will always be a corner for this to kind of grow. There are people with no vaccinations at all. So I feel like they're not going to start with this one. Yeah, exactly. And there's a whole anti-vax kind of society and it's Mm -hmm. its its own identity. And that's fine. I've kind of started calling it the anti-like science group because it's not just about vaccines anymore. It's there's a lot of kind of that misinformation and conspiratorial thinking kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, that that did uh, kind of bring up in my mind. So you guys have heard about, oh, there's this new variant in England yes. and mm-hmm. South America. And, oh, like why, you know, one of the thoughts is why should I get this vaccine if it's just going to spread and there's going to be a whole new coronavirus and, uh, and up oh, big pharma is just doing this so I can take three coronavirus vaccines a year. And so oh let me calm down that kind of thought process because, and I'll, I'll teach you guys a little microbiology. Okay. You ready? Let's so, go. The spike protein. We both were like, okay. You guys know that like a, there's a, let's say a protein and there's an antibody and the antibody binds the protein and then your body's like, oh, that's a bad guy. What it really is, is the protein is this huge like hunk of stuff. And on the spike protein, there's 20 different spots for antibodies to recognize and form. So right now I've got the vaccine. I've got very likely 20 different types of antibodies for just that one protein. So when it comes into my body, it'll go, oh no, I know that guy. Uh, Get him out. What we've seen in the Europe and the South South African um, variant is 
one of them, and I believe it's the the UK version, has there's no difference on the spike protein at all. Like that's the it's the exact same. And the South African has one difference in the like the actual structure of the protein, but it doesn't affect any of those 20 areas where the antibodies form. So even after being around a whole year and even finding two like very different variants of this COVID-19 that are going around, it's still the same virus and the vaccine still works as well as far as we know to, to find that one protein and destroy it. So like that's why we chose the spike protein because it doesn't change much. And even in the times that it does change, it's not changing enough that our antibodies don't recognize it. So that's also one of the kind of things that give me hope and optimism is um, this virus isn't that sneaky. And so I think the, the vaccine will hopefully provide us with some lifelong immunity, but we'll see. Okay, great. Yay. I think... Those are all my things. Do you have any things? No, you got my things. Do you have anything else you want to share? Because this is your your time. No, friend. I, I could. Uh, this has been <laughs> a part of my life now, twenty four seven for um, almost a year now. Um, so I could talk about this forever, and I do. <laughs> um, uh, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it's it is it's my work and my life. Um, and so this is something that I'm always happy to talk about. If other people have other questions, you guys can send them along. Um, I'm happy to answer them, uh, especially if it helps to combat some of those kind of unfounded rumors that are simmering out there. I'm always happy to kind of set the record straight and also set my sources. So nice. Um, if you are on our social medias, we can open the floor to people and then they can directly ask you if that's cool. something that you are open to or want to do. We yeah. can be more than happy to do that. Sounds yeah. great. Well, thank you so much for taking your time and talking to us. That was very kind of you. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, this was a blast. Thanks, guys. Hello, fiends. We're back with another interview. Dr. Lisa's here tonight. Hi. Yay. Oh, we're so happy to talk to you. So happy to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So why don't you introduce yourself to anybody who doesn't know you? Okay, thank you very much. My name is Lisa Diano. I'm a board-certified pediatrician uh, with a special clinical focus on cases of suspected child maltreatment. Uh, I'm a longtime listener, uh, first-time interviewee, and <laughs> I am uh, the person that periodically jumps up and, when asked, provides uh, medical backup to Holly and Leslie on the podcast. And I'm uh, Audrey Diano's sister, for any of you. Uh, <laughs> that's how I met my sister. Through through my sister, I met Holly and Leslie. Yeah. Awesome. And we're so grateful to Audrey. So thank you for introducing us. And you're allowed to jump in with, without being asked. You can always say things. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we talked about the COVID vaccine last night, talking about like adults. Yes. But because Lisa is a pediatrician, that means that we can kind of engage in a conversation about how this disease is affecting children and when we might see a vaccine for them. So I guess the first thing I should ask is, have you experience like treat any children with COVID? Have you seen it at all? Because I know it's not as common. Right, 
Right. So I will say over the last 18 months, approaching two years, by sheer coincidence, I have been out of clinical face-to-face practice. I have been the chief medical officer of a pediatric telemedicine company. Which is very valuable now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. And it was... um, so my, I, by sheer coincidence, I happened to stop practicing uh, hands-on medicine uh, just a few months before COVID really uh, came to bear uh, okay. on our on the world's population, on the world stage. So I have not personally had to treat children with COVID, but I have definitely had to walk families through recommendations. Um, my company's Facebook page, we did informational uh, sessions for parents on uh, COVID, uh, symptoms, management, isolation, things like that. So I've definitely been a whole part of the education part more so. That's great. Well, that's even better for us, yeah, I think. <laughs> so then I, first of all, we will link any kind of advice stuff you did to our social so everybody can read it. Um, so second, I know it's more difficult to recognize in children. So what should parents be looking out for basically right now? So the major sim- symptoms of COVID when they present, when they are uh, something you are able to observe in mm-hmm. your child are still very similar to what we are seeing in adults, okay. which in itself is similar, very similar to like the flu. So I made a couple notes, you know, no, top things include fevers, cough, shortness of breath, headaches, muscle aches. Uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, sore throat, kind of that general nonspecific viral picture we talk about. Plus the, you know, children can also experience that loss of taste and smell. We see that is a little bit more distinctive Mm. of COVID and can kind of be used to separate out the possibility of COVID from a regular viral illness, but is not, it is, is not characteristic enough to definitively sort out COVID versus not COVID viral illness. So really in kids, it looks a lot like what it looks like in adults. The key is though, that children more often than not are asymptomatic. Right. Children with COVID mostly are asymptomatic. So put your masks on your children, please. <laughs> yes, please mask, please mask. I'm trying to remember people can't see me. I'm so sorry. I'm like okay. over here hand gesturing for the world. We do it too. (laughs) (laughs) She gave you guys thumbs up. She's waving. You're missing. Maybe we'll put up this video because (laughs) Dr. Lisa made herself beautiful for us tonight. So you guys all deserve to see her face. So in talking about the vaccine, I know there isn't one for children yet, right? So where are we on that? Okay, great question. So the Pfizer vaccine has been approved down to 16-year-olds. Okay. Uh, Moderna is down to 18. Now, Moderna is trying to uh, enroll adolescents down to 12 years old in a study for the vaccine. Um, So I will say, I'll make a quick plug here. If you have an adolescent, please try to find that Moderna study. And I'll supply Holly and Leslie with the information. I'm seeing all over pediatric Facebook groups, Moderna does not have enough enrollees okay. in the study for adolescents. Well, we're happy so, to share. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have vaccines, Pfizer approved down to 16, Moderna approved down to 18. 
uh, Moderna working on a trial currently down to 12 years old. Right. Uh, but we do not have that available yet. Now, I will tell you the Moderna trial in teenagers is in phase two, which means we know it's safe. But now we want to see, okay, it's safe to give this to people, but how well is this working? They're testing the efficacy now in phase two. That was my next question. Like, how risky is it if you sign your child up for this trial? I know that's like a a big help to science, but um, parents always, you're a mom, you know, always have reservations. Like, is my child a guinea pig? What's going to happen? Is this a scary thing or is it something we should be feeling pretty confident about? Of course. Great question. I would say you should feel confident about it. Okay, we've made it past phase one. And phase one is, is this safe? Mm -hmm. So we've made it past that phase of clinical trials. We're now in two, which is efficacy. Um, So I would say parents should feel safe enrolling their child in this trial. And again, uh, really the only one for kids in the U.S. right now is the Moderna one. If you enroll your child in that, there's a 67% chance they're going to get the actual vaccine versus a placebo. Oh, that's good. Right? And there are, of course, safety measures in place uh, to check up on those children. So there's like repeated phone calls from the doctor and things like that. Great. Oh, that's that is very reassuring. So I think, you know, I think it's totally safe. And in fact, um, I have two girls. And my older is 13. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just talking to... Uh, her dad today and telling him, I think we really should get her into this trial. Okay. I really want to get her signed up for this. Oh, great. So see, if you're promoting it for your own child, then, then clearly that can give us all a little more confidence. I would, I would never ask my families to do something that I wouldn't do for my own child. Oh, well, we like to hear that. That's great. (laughs) So as of right now, there is no projection for children under the age of 12. There are none. We know that AstraZeneca has a trial in the UK where they enrolled kids down to five years old. Oh, okay. But we have not seen that in the U.S. yet. Okay. But then it's on the way, right? Yeah. Yeah. We like that. Um, And last night we spoke briefly about, because I think I, in in our like pre-conversation, we talked about women who were pregnant. Yep. And we spoke about that briefly last night, but I'd love to hear your opinions too. Yeah, absolutely. So I will tell you that both the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommend that pregnant women get the vaccine. Um, The downside, the risks of getting the vaccine are less than the risks to the pregnant person if they contract COVID while they are pregnant, it has been determined. Now, I'll tell you, I got my first COVID vaccine uh, maybe a week ago. Yay! Yay. <laughs> dancing! She's dancing. <laughs> so, uh, my husband, who is also a pediatrician, has gotten both of his COVID vaccines. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. We both yay. experienced tenderness at the site. I felt pretty crappy after the same day as I got my first one, mm-hmm. fever, feeling real run down and tired. But for me, the second day, I was totally fine again. So the number one risk of getting this vaccine is feeling crappy temporarily. Yeah, I can handle that. I can handle 12 hours in my bed. I think we all can handle yeah. 12 hours in our bed at this point. Right? 
I got the vaccine. I felt crappy. I laid on the couch and my <sighs> husband waited on me hand and foot because I am a, a science hero. What a terrible life. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So see, you guys, it's not that bad. Even if you, like, because I know some people have gotten it and they don't even experience that. They say Uh the only thing they experience is maybe a little soreness in their arm or they're generally just a little more tired than usual. But even if you get what seems to be the most extreme reaction where you feel sick, it's very short lasting. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's really not bad. Have you seen anybody who has effects that were more than that? Or does that seem to be like kind of the 10 out of 10? Now, there are some people who have experienced allergic reactions to the vaccine. Oh, okay. Okay. And that is a rarity, though, I would want to emphasize. That's every vaccine, though, right? Yes. I would say I've always taught my students there is no such thing as intervention without risk. You can go blind from too much oxygen. You can have seizures and die from too much water. Okay. There is no such thing as intervention without risk. Don't hydrate um, too much, Leslie. Gosh. What? <laughs> don't overhydrate. Yeah. Bad chill, scene. Chill, everybody. Eight <laughs> glasses is fine. Don't, don't be a hero. Just relax. Um, but, but um, so there have been recorded instances, instances of anaphylactic reactions to uh, the vaccine. Um, Those are rare, case reportable. And I will tell you, as soon as you get the vaccine, they make you hang out for at least 15 minutes and watch you to make sure you're okay. Well, that's comforting. Um, Yeah, yeah. They have all sorts of, they have medications there. They have EpiPens there. They have doctors and nurses there in case you experience some kind of side effect. That's great. I want to make sure I answered your question about pregnant people and the vaccine. Did I answer that for you? Yes, but I'm going to give you a little follow-up just because I think this might drive it home nicely. So there's not a lot of risk getting the vaccine, but there are effects if you are a pregnant woman who contracts COVID. So what can that possibly do to you and your gestating baby if you end up contracting COVID at that point in time? Okay, fantastic question. Yes, we have definitely seen a clear a clear worsening, more of a bad outcome. Suddenly English is failing me. It's because I'm under pressure from two really professional podcasters. I'm very oh, nervous please. about being on this show. <laughs> you I'm need not be nervous. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but for, seriously, for two seconds, two seconds, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I don't, before I totally forget, this is going on my CV. This absolutely is going on my CV. Ooh. And that means going forward, uh, defense attorneys and judges will be reading about your podcast on my CV. That's because amazing. to be qualified as a medical witness, you have to present <laughs> your CV and you have to include everything, everything, everything that could potentially uh, either speak to your expertise or mm-hmm. uh, in theory disqualify you. I think this is more of a speak to expertise situation. Obviously, personally. you're nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just want to let you guys know that uh, defense attorneys and judges are going to be reading about your podcast. We've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> we okay, feel so famous. Yes, so pregnant, it, it is very clear. We, you know, the, the research, the knowledge, the picture, our understanding of COVID changes daily. It's like nothing I've ever seen in my life up to this point <sighs> in time. It's everything is so new, but we have seen a very clear connection between being pregnant getting COVID and having a bad outcome. Your body changes so much when you're pregnant Mm -hmm. anyway. And did your previous guest totally go over this? Because I don't want to... No, we didn't ask him this part. We just, uh, he actually felt very strongly that pregnant women should 
get the vaccine. So he yes. kind of like went through why it was safe. And but he we cited didn't... the same sources that you did. So you guys yeah. have like cross-referenced <laughs> each other, uh-huh. which is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we did not talk about the negative side because I think that knowing the risks of going into pregnancy without the COVID vaccine and what could happen if you contracted the virus is useful because that could urge people to go and get it, you know? Sure, sure. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So when you become pregnant, as many of us know, um, your body definitely goes through a number of very predictable physiologic changes related to you growing a person in your body, okay? Your lung tidal volume goes down because you have this huge mass in your abdomen now. Oh, yeah. I was always so out of breath. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> your plasma volume increases, which leads to a, basically a dilutional anemia. Um, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. There's swelling of, believe it or not, your airway tissues because of just the amount of fluid you take on and retain as a pregnant person. Okay. Mm. Every single one of these very normal and typically totally reversible changes that you undergo as a person nourishing and carrying a baby. Uh, spell badness if you are infected with COVID. Your tidal, lung tidal volume is increased. You become anemic, which means you have diminished oxygen carrying capacity in your blood. Okay. If your uh, you know, airway tissues are edematous, it's going to be harder to intubate you. You know, one of the things we talk about in the treatment of people with uh, COVID, you might have heard about proning patients or patients need to be laid on their stomach on their front side. Well, that's not uh, easy. To help with the ventilation. If you are massively pregnant, I don't know how they can prone you. I'm sure they've somebody somewhere's come up with something for pregnant people, but um, it is uh, way more of a process uh, m- to prone a, a heavily pregnant person than it would be just an average adult. Okay, so the normal pre- changes that come along with being pregnant make your outcome with COVID worse. And what we've seen with, um, in regards to the babies themselves, we are not appreciating at this time, any sort of you know, congenital and, you know, any sort of birth defects related to maternal COVID infection. It's not like there's a very, very clear link between uh, like maternal syphilis infection and bad things happening to the baby. There's a very clear connection between maternal infection with CNV, CMV, excuse me, and bad things happening to the baby. CMV is the number one uh, preventable cause of sensory neural deafness in babies. Okay. Oh. So there are very clear connections between some infections and, and less desirable outcomes with your baby. We haven't seen that with COVID, which is fantastic. That's good. Which is great. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. For sure. And we're actually even still just a little bit foggy about if you can, if the mother can transmit COVID to the baby in utero. Ooh. We're a little bit foggy about it, if that's a thing that can happen, or if the neonatal COVID infections we're seeing are, are happening um, after birth, as opposed to passing through the placenta. You have seen, like, newborns with COVID. Yes. Yes. There are Ooh. definitely case reports of newborns with COVID. Yeah. What effects do you see on, do babies typically present as asymptomatic or did they, do these little tiny babies end up sick? That's a great question. And honestly, I'd have to dig down into that a little bit more. Okay. 
from what I understand is that if um, you come into the hospital, you're getting tested automatically uh, to mm-hmm. look for if you are being admitted, do you have COVID? Because that, yeah. means, that means a lot regarding your potential hospital course, uh, isolation precautions. Now with the numbers going up, cohorting of patients and things like that. So you're definitely going to get tested if you're coming in to deliver a baby. And I think for science, basically, they're testing all these babies as soon as they're, you know, at specific intervals after they're right. born to get get an idea, a handle on what, what this is doing to newborn babies. But again, I would have to dig into that a little bit more for you guys. Okay, no worries. Just curious. <laughs> yeah, no, all very, very good questions. Because obviously, like, if you're a, a mother that has a new baby or is carrying a baby right now, your concern is going to be for your child. But the things you're saying is are so relevant, too, because if you are that ill, the chances of your child not doing well are probably pretty high. Like, I imagine if you're pregnant and you have very low oxygen levels, that's not great for a baby. No, no, that is not great for the baby. And we are seeing an increased rate of cesarean sections or C-sections in moms with COVID and an increased rate of preterm delivery in moms with COVID. But we're thinking this is seems to be, and again, the picture is evolving, new information is coming out all the time. It seems to be related more to um, taking that physiologic stress off of mom. Right. We have to get this baby out. The baby is viable. The baby can survive outside of mom. Let's. This mom is critically ill. Let's get this baby out so oh, we so can scary. take care of the baby over here and mom can heal over here. That And that's a choice that I don't think anybody wants to make. That's terrifying. No. <laughs> so, no. No. So yeah, no way. you guys. Get your vaccine. And I would say get your vaccine, but beyond that, more than that, I would say... What please do what our health leaders are asking you to do, which is please wear a mask, okay? Please wash your hands. Please avoid group gatherings. All these things that we've been talking about, those are the things that can be done immediately and that we know will decrease the risk of transmission and contraction of COVID. Yes, I strongly recommend everybody get their vaccine the instant they can get their hands on it. We're waiting. Um, but <laughs> even beyond that, today, today, everybody can mask consistently, symptomatic or not, uh, wash your hands, avoid gatherings, and stay home if at all possible. Yeah, it's not over. It's not over. And even I'm sure you <laughs> talked about this with your friend yesterday. Once you get the vaccine, they are still telling you you have to mask, wash your hands, socially mm-hmm. distance. Yeah. We want to push up everybody's immunity. When we can get that herd immunity going, mm-hmm. then we're going to be heading towards safer times. Because one of the reasons we vaccinate is so there's no place for that disease to go. Mm-hmm. So if I if we're all vaccinated against the flu and uh, Leslie has a baby for some reason, I don't know if she picked it up. She found it somewhere. <laughs> um, I'm always doing that. She's just, just picking up babies. Other people's babies. <laughs> just picking up ladies. <laughs> There's a special at the supermarket. Yeah. Um, don't get like three or four. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> get one for me too. Get one for me too. I'll pay you later. I'll okay, later. cool, cool. I'll pay you back. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, what we want to do is we vaccinate everybody that's going to be, we want to vaccinate everybody that's going to be around a vulnerable individual. So if none of us can get the flu or measles, 
or, or um, you know, whooping cough, then there's no reservoir for the vulnerable person to contract that illness from. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. I had whooping cough. So get that vaccine too, please. It's Dude. horrible. It's such a janky illness. It and I was vaccinated. Janky illness. But I was like 25. And I guess at that time, it wasn't like you get an adult booster because everyone was getting vaccinated. And then they stopped doing that. And then I got whooping cough. So knock that off. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Yeah, knock that crap off. Sorry, I went like way over here with vaccines. No, what, no, no, the, we're good. So I'll tell you from a pediatric perspective, we all kind of among ourselves got a little mildly self-congratulatory as pediatricians because we were very excited that children generally seem to be doing okay with this. If they get it, they're mostly asymptomatic. If they are symptomatic, it's usually relatively mild and the kids are over it in like a couple weeks and everything seems pretty great. Mm -hmm. Where it's not great is that those children are then transmitting it to older family members with higher risk factors, with more comorbidities. And those people become deathly ill and spend weeks, months in the hospital or potentially die. So that part's not so great. With the that's kids. why we have to respect our teachers and let them teach from home if they need to, because they're not little kiddos that rebound in 10 seconds. And maybe they have older family members at home. I don't think a lot of people give thought to that. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard. It's very, very hard because children are, children are suffering. Children are having a very difficult time right now, particularly special needs children who are not necessarily connecting with the services uh, they might have had in their schools. So, I mean, the the argument for in-school, in-person school is real and very understandable, but it's it's a it's a it's a horrible decision to have to make. And I gotta be under I gotta be 100 percent I do not envy anybody in any sort of government or authority position right now that has to be making that call. Cause it is it is just so hard on both ends. So you know what I mean? If you have if if any of our listening audience has a child at home, and I, I actually know that some of them do, that is struggling like this. Do you have any recommendations for what they can do or resources that they should tap if you have like a special needs child and they're really, this is not going well for them? Sure. So I would say this, one of the nice things about the special needs community is that they are very uh, lock, uh, the vast majority of them, in my experience, these moms, these parents are very locked into their communities. Uh, they have very strong connections and they are very aware of the services that are available to them within their community. I would encourage people with special needs children, if they already haven't, I'm sure they, are, they could totally school me on this at this point in time, but reach out to your social networks of similar parents there are many, um, you know, Facebook groups for anything you could possibly think of. As part of, you know, my chief medical officer position, I'm on a ton of Facebook groups for special needs families, just to kind of get a, a finger on, keep a finger on the pulse and try to identify needs within my patient population. So, you know, uh, aut you know autism parent Facebook groups, uh, four or more Facebook groups. So you got four more kids. Oh, yeah. ADHD. Uh, reach out to your, lean on your community, lean on your connections, lean on your professionals. Doctors, physical therapists, all these people uh, really went into overdrive once this whole thing came crashing down to figure out how to continue to provide these services to children. 
And they're, they're doing a pretty good job from everything I can see to still try to make sure kids get the services they need. The preventative medical care is still very important. So the checkups, the routine vaccinations, things like that. Uh, these professionals are, are really going above and beyond to make it happen. Like that. Yeah. Full, full transparency. My daughter has ADHD. So we've been going through all of the things. Awesome. So I, I've seen that too. Sorry, yeah. that sounded really weird. It's not awesome that your daughter no, 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 has no, no, ADHD. No. That came out weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's awesome. It's fine. She can have, okay. she can be cool with it. <laughs> doctor's like, oh, I'm glad your kid has ADHD. What the I, hell? I thought you meant you were glad that we were doing well. Yeah. <laughs> I did too. Okay, so you understand. So you, you speak Lisa. She's like <laughs> mortified. <laughs> okay. No one's judging you. You're among friends. You're safe here. Okay. I just want to make it clear. No, 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 no. And we we did take some solace in in a community of other people, and also like her therapist does like telemedicine. Like she yep. meets with her via Zoom every every two mm-hmm. weeks. So, but I just um, I like hearing anybody else's advice because you know we're yeah. all just trying to find a port in a storm right now. Absolutely. And one one resource I love, 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 and I cannot talk about enough is healthychildren.org. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's by um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is uh, my specialty's governing body. Um, they're my daddy, and they put down <laughs> okay. all the they put out all the policies and guidelines and and all that stuff. So that's if you're talking about getting info from the horse's mouth, that's the yes. horse, the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics. Now the AAP has a really rad site called HealthyChildren.org, and it is it's more um, like layman parent care provider friendly. Okay. So you go to AAP.org, what you're going to be getting is a policy statements, um, you know, academic articles, things like that. And that's, it's aimed at, you know, at professionals like me. Um, Healthychildren.org is for parents and other care providers who are not necessarily at an MD level. Anything you want to know about your kid, any question you have, they've got a beautiful little article about it, real digestible. And it's all totally accurate. It's absolutely everything I would be telling you in the doctor's office. So send us a link to that for sure. And we'll put that in our show notes. We'll put it in our socials. We'll put it everywhere because I know we do have a lot of parents who um, are in our listening audience. So yeah. That's good. Great, great. Yeah, I love healthychildren.org. But definitely, I will go circle back to the AAP's website. If you're in for a little bit denser information, it's still fantastic. And they have a whole COVID page. It's oh, just nice. COVID. And they actually have a little, I forget where it is in the clicking, but there's a mental health minute. And it's all mental health resources. That's great. It's okay. all mental health stuff. And it's it's really fantastic. That is a very good resource to have. Thank you for that. This is my favorite part. One of my favorite parts of pediatrics is education. I love teaching. I love education. So I'm. I this this is right up my alley, and I'm I'm so I, I'm so honored you guys uh, asked me on and trusted me to, oh my to help educate. Yeah. Uh, so I do have. I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One is about the vaccine again. So for uh-huh. a pregnant woman, about a month ago, I read an article uh, where the researcher was explaining, um, or the maybe one of the developers or researchers of the vaccine, he was saying that what you said, pregnant women can get this vaccine and it's healthy. And a lot of, a lot of women were concerned about it entering the the placenta. But Uh he said at that time, he was like, I think like 1% or less 
of the tested women that had gotten the vaccine had that issue where it was very rare. I just didn't know if that's still the case, if that's like, that's probably what most women are concerned about. Sure. Yeah, totally understandable. So I will say um, I'm not, based on the information I've seen, I'm not I'm not seeing anything about vaccine leading to um, changes in the baby, about placental transmission, about any sort of significant impact on the developing baby secondary to mom receiving the COVID vaccine. They're okay. asking for more pregnant study subjects. All right, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Do you have to tell me no. something? Okay. No. <laughs> get pregnant, get in that trial. Come on. Where's your commitment to science? There's a, uh, you know, tradition in medicine, traditionally children and pregnant people are underrepresented in clinical trials because we, we don't want to mess with vulnerable people, which, you know, right. kind of makes sense, but then also kind of slightly kind of handicaps our idea of how these medications may work in these populations because they're not the same as middle-aged men or college students that sign up to sell their blood and take weird medicines. Like, <laughs> it's, it's different. Um, but everything I've seen regarding the vaccine, pregnancy, developing children, the risk of anything weird happening, any sort of reaction from the mom or the baby, any sort of transmission of vaccine material across across that placenta is is vanishingly rare, is clinically insignificant. Does that make sense? Yes. It does, yeah. You know, there's like a month in between getting that information, so it's good. Like, now we have more studies, so if it's still going that way, then that's positive. Yep, yep. And, and reassuring. Um, so my other question now is based on not the vaccine, just about children in COVID times. Obviously, this past year, we will see a new study come out about the amount of screen time That's that children. That's a great question. That's a great question. That's a totally understandable question. That's a question I see floating around. Again, pediatrician Facebook groups and stuff like that. I haven't, um, you know, I get email alerts and updates from the American Academy of Pediatrics and stuff like that. So there's always information coming into my inbox, bulletins and stuff like that. I don't think I've seen anything specific about studies related to the extra screen time. I will say, yes, everybody's kids is getting way more, are getting way more screen time than the American Academy of Pediatrics typically recommends. I will tell you that as a pediatrician, I've never hammered on the screen time thing very hard. And I would talk to parents like this. Okay, so I think you need to look at the intention behind screen time, okay? If you plop your child down in front of a TV, you don't monitor anything that they watch or you don't monitor their computer usage and you sub use that to substitute for any actual meaningful parenting or interaction with your child, that's bad. That's wrong. Okay. And your child is going to have bad outcomes from that because you are not parenting that child. You're ignoring that child and you're letting uh, TV or God, even worse, the internet, raise your child. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm so scared right? of the internet. No. I'm constantly Conspiracy terrified of the internet tunnels. I know. <laughs> no, so, so these, like, that's the issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I'll tell you, I forget the name of the study, but there is a very clear link between the number of words a child hears in the first three years of life and their IQ and success in school going forward. Okay. Right. Yeah. Woo! 
How many times? I say so many words. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and you know, the studies have said, you know, you can't, um, and you, you can't cheat. You can't plunk your kid down in front of network, 24 hour network news and walk away. Okay, that doesn't count. <laughs> or like Frasier, just place them in front of Frasier. <laughs> so I'll tell parents, I don't care what you say to your baby as long as you're talking to them, okay? You can you can gossip about celebrities. You can just narrate what you see around you. You can um, talk about anything, but the point is your child needs to hear the words coming out of your mouth, Okay. And the more words that child hears, the more their brain develops and the more success they're going to have later on in school. Okay, that's a fact. Now, going back to the screen time, it's difficult right now. It's difficult. Parents need breaks. All right. School is happening like this. So the screen time, you know, school is screen time for some kids. What what I would tell parents is, number one, educational screen time from even back before COVID, was never counted into the screen time allowance, okay? So if your child had to uh, research something on the computer for a project, that didn't count as screen time, all right? So first, so already take away Zoom school screen time. That totally doesn't count, okay? That's educational screen time. I would say as long as you're making sure the connection is there with your child and you are staying connected and that that line of communication stays open and flowing, I'm not super worried about the amount of screen time kids are getting. What I worry about is the connection between the parents and the children themselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've never, I've, you know, I've always told parents, um, you know, in visits, um, screen time doesn't count on an airplane or on a car ride. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't count. Good. Okay? Don't worry about it. Ooh, the car's hard. <laughs> you know, sometimes you as a parent just need a break. Okay. So what is going to be more detrimental to your child? A solid hour of PJ masks or you constantly sniping at them and yelling at them and being super annoyed at them versus you taking a solid hour to maybe sit in the kitchen, drink a little wine, (laughs) play, play a little game on your phone. Okay. Take a little bit of break and you come back. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Again, I'm, I'm not worried about about the amount of time kids look at screens. What I'm worried about is the connection between the parents and the children. If you feel like you are having a good connection, that connection is staying strong and you're maintaining open lines of communication with your child, I think it's all going to be okay. So I shouldn't get annoyed at my son after he's played like three hours of video games and then comes down and tells me about those three hours of video games. It's rough. I know it's rough. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes. Everything your everything is big to the, your kids. So we have to talk about Minecraft, basically. We don't have an out. We don't have an out. All right. Okay. Right. Your kids, sword? Leslie's kids are yeah, they do talk about that. That's true. I have no idea. <laughs> Leslie's kids are older though. Her video games are gonna be more sophisticated. They are. They stream. They do like the streaming. They stream? Yeah. Dude, I don't even know. Yeah, they get wow. on there and they have like five followers. And 
okay, boys. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that because Flynn will watch them. Oh, well, I'll, I'll <gasps> That's shoot him so a link. Cute. My Aww. seven-year-old, like, when he gets his little, like, TV after school, he gets, like, a little bit of TV after he gets home from school because they need to decompress yeah. just like everybody else. And my kids are going mm-hmm. to school right now. We're very lucky. We're in a very tiny little baby community. 75 kids basically in their whole school. So awesome. we're, we're lucky. But when he gets home, that's what he wants to watch. He wants to watch these, like, stupid YouTube screaming, playing Minecraft guys. And because I don't let him do it alone, which now I feel good about that, I have to watch it on the big TV in my living room. <laughs> hey, we can, we can, I'll play Among, among Us with... <laughs> oh, my kids have that now, but only in, like, really supervised little bits. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you could totally play with Violet and Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm glad the reassurance about screen time was nice because we are living in a time yeah. of like, well, we're all connected just through the wind, the electronic window in our living room. That's mm-hmm. how our life works. Yeah. And seeing seeing six-year-olds FaceTime is like real funny. Uh-huh. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just got to put that out in the world. My, my son would do it. He would just like be jumping up and down. And so I'm like, they can't see anything, buddy. <laughs> do you have anything that you'd like to put out into the world? Because this is... Your time. And um, so if you have stuff you want to tell people, reassurance you want to give them about that, the vaccine for COVID, about vaccines in general, about anything, you can kind of throw sure, it out in the world sure. now. Did you guys want to talk about Miss C, the multi-organ system uh, collapse in children? I don't know what that is, but I absolutely want to know now. Okay, so the thing that came out with seems to be more pediatrics, specific is something that's called Miss C, or okay. I've heard people call it MISC. I've heard people call it MISC. So it stands for multi-organ inflammation syndrome of children. Okay. All right. Now, while it is true that most children are totally asymptomatic or otherwise have a mild manifestation of the illness and recover in one to two weeks without any sort of issue, there have been almost 600 cases. So it's still a very rare complication, but there have been 600 cases of this inflammatory syndrome, which is uh, very, very serious. Um, And it actually resembles closely um, Kawasaki's disease, if you've ever heard of that. And that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But basically in like the two to four weeks after this kid had COVID, they become very sick again. They are ill enough to require definite hospitalization more than one organ system is involved. So, you know, the neuro, the neurologic system, the respiratory system, cardiovascular system, GI system, you know, the skin. Um, so we've got at least two organ system involvement and there are uh, inflamed, uh, there are elevated inflammatory markers. Okay. So that's the thing people seem to really worry about with kids and COVID. Oh, the rash. I, I've heard about the rash. That's something you look for, right? Yes. Yes, COVID toes. They yes. kind of look like chillblains. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It can be um it can manifest in multiple different ways. It can look like um kind of more of a lacy red rash. It can be the COVID toes. I would reassure parents that there's no way you're gonna miss it because that kid is sick, sick, sick. So I would say there's you're not gonna miss it because your child is gonna be very ill. Oof. But I would like to reassure parents that that if you've heard about that, it is still a very rare. A complication of a child getting a COVID infection. So it's it's what I talk about when parents are like, well, kids, kids don't get it, or kids are immune to it, or well, if kids get it, they're totally fine. You know, my counter to that is, okay, well, if you're even if your kid is totally fine, which you know, knock on wood, God willing, your kid would be, why would I not want your kid to be totally fine? Of course. Um, there's an excellent chance that 
older adults that come in contact with your child are not going to be fine and very well may die. And, uh, and then in addition to possibly sickening and accidentally killing a beloved older family member, um, there is still a chance your child could develop this. Wow. Which is very serious. So it's, it's just kind of my, you know, reality check for families that are like, well, kids are fine. They don't need to mask. It's all okay. No, we want all that cautionary information. That's, that's very important. And I, I like, I didn't even give credence to the statement that children can't get it, but I guess there are a lot of people that think that. It's hard. It's hard to know what to understand. I mean, this is, this is my, this is my dang job. And some of this information is very confusing. It can be contradictory. New stuff is coming out all the time. And I would definitely understand if a parent was like, well, from what I understand, kids are pretty much fine. So like kids are fine. So put them in school, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not necessarily an incorrect statement, but there's additional steps to consider that uh, a non-medical person might not put together. Absolutely. That's good to know. Yeah, stay safe. I, I would say about vaccines, um, you know, they are... They are really important. I think we've all seen recently what disinformation can do to people. <sighs> um, and it's out there about lots of things. And vaccines really is the one I deal with the most as a pediatrician. You know, it, it believe it or not, in the beginning when this became more of a of an issue. Again, I never heard of autism until I was in, me- in medical school. Really. And then, so we're talking like 2003, and even then it seemed like it was kind of a new thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely not a new thing. I can very clearly think of one of my local residents growing up in my town, my hometown, um, who looking back was easily in his 40s when I was in high school. You you would see him around. Mm -hmm. This was very clearly an adult with severe autism. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Me mm-hmm. But anyway, you know, people people being afraid makes sense. It's understandable. People making the connection between, back in the day, between autism and vaccines, I could see the line that was drawn between one and the other before we knew how early autism can start to manifest. We can now mm-hmm. pick it up at like eight months old. Wow. As opposed to we would really start picking up on it at like two around the time you got your MMR. Mm-hmm. where that connection came from. Vaccines really are a miracle of modern medicine. And there's no reason I would want to hurt a kid. I gave, there's a hashtag in pediatrician groups where it's just the, it's just, it's an, you know, it's just the first letters, but it's, I gave up my twenties for this. Um, you know, and it's gladly so this is a yeah. calling this is a calling mm-hmm. um, to care for kids and their families. So it always made me so confused when it was like, wait, I gave up partying in Bali so I could hurt your kid for the lowest amount of pay you make <laughs> as a doctor? <laughs> that doesn't check out. I don't understand. <laughs> Please walk me through that. <laughs> and is it too late for me to go to Bali? It's <laughs> never too late to go to Bali. I think you should yeah. probably do that. Field trip. Fiend trip. In, in safe yeah. times. Yeah. We'll all go to Bali. <laughs> We'll eat, we'll pray, we'll love. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> um, really, you know, this has brought renewed conversation around vaccines. We see what this information can do for people. I will tell you as a pediatrician, vaccines are a miracle of modern medicine. Um, I strongly recommend people get them. 
I'm here to talk to parents if they have questions about it. I'm, I'm not here for parents that come in and tell me I'm purposely poisoning their kids. That, that conversation goes differently. No, they get the boot. If they come to you on our socials, they get kicked out. Bye. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, it's, I would say trust, trust the people who dedicated their lives to this. Yes, 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 yes. We're here to take care of you. And it's the same medicine that's going to save your life if you get a vaccine-preventable illness that brought you the vaccines in the first place. So that also was always super confusing to me. You trust my PICU, but you don't trust the DTaP. And I will tell you from a, a, a physician perspective, which one is more harmful for your child. There is no such thing as intervention without risk. And a week-long intubated PICU stay is decidedly uh, risky. Yeah, that's terrifying. So Whew. that's that's all I got. That's is there been, anything that else was I wonderful. can do for you guys? This has been so fun. <laughs> yeah, that was actually that was wonderful. We covered so many bases. Yeah. I think I feel are, good. Good. <laughs> we need to get Leslie feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. Well, we should toast you because you have a cocktail with us. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. You got it. Cheers, friends. Uh, she's <laughs> clicking her screen. It's there. So um, Lisa is in all of our socials and she's pretty accessible. And we will try and like have a post with your name highlighted, your like Facebook name in our group. So if you have questions for a pediatrician regarding any of the things that we have covered this evening, then we can direct you those people and we can just add to your job. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. What, if you've got a friend who's a pediatrician, why wouldn't you ask them questions? What's the use of having a friend who's a pediatrician if you can't ask them questions? That's true. I have, a, I have messaged you myself about my son giving himself a hickey one time. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no one could figure out why he had that thing on his face. <laughs> it's they, so weird. It's so fun. He, what, what did it end up being? He And you know what? Um, I think it was Mary Fusco who found this out for me. He had had a little tiny, like, it's like a, it looks like a ketchup cup. We have them. Mm -hmm. They're steel. That's what we put in them for, like, ketchup to dip. Yeah. And he had had, he was, we were doing... A campfire stories and he was upstairs and he had a little tiny thing full of snow caps and his little popcorn because that's what my kids do when we do campfire stories they watch a movie and he had Cute. suctioned the little cup to his face and it had burst all the little blood vessels under his lip so he had like a hickey on his chin and I was freaking out because I messaged you and I was like Lisa is my son dying <laughs> it's so bad I was sending everybody pictures. I'm like, I don't know what to do. He's fine. Nothing's hurting him. He's like, stop touching me. So, <laughs> but yeah, he gave himself, gave himself a hickey by just like, you know how when you suck something to your face, it sticks. And when you're a kid, that's like very fun and interesting. That's what happened. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you give yourself a face hickey by sucking on a cup? Come on. We didn't see it when he went to bed because it was kind of dark and he had fallen, they had fallen mm -hmm. asleep in our bed with the TV on. And in the morning, I'm looking at him going like, that's not right. Hmm. And he gets eczema. So sometimes he has like little itchies, but that, mm, not a hickey. That's awesome. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Thank you so much, Lisa, for pleasure. doing this. Do you want me to send you the links for um, the AAP and healthychildren.org? Yes. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll message you those. Yeah, send me all of those so I can put them in a clickable link for everybody because I know I will personally utilize them and I'm sure that if I do that means other people will so so thank, thank you, so you. Much, you guys have an awesome night well that's all we have fiends 
And it sure is a lot. If you find that you have more to ask Dr. McBride, who is a friend, and so I feel real weird and formal referring to him like that, (laughs) it's fine. And Dr. Lisa have agreed graciously to open up a dialogue in our Facebook group. If you're not already a member of that, it's very easy to join. There is a link in our Facebook page. We will tag them both in a post and leave the comments open for questions, comments, and compliments, of course. Yes. Give them compliments. And if you are only on Instagram, we can also do a talk within our episode there. Yeah, we will have already, at this point, put up posts with their photos and bios on them so that you can know all of their qualifications and stuff if you're feeling very critical. (laughs) Or you just want to know they're great, they're nice, be their friend. And we can, if you want to comment on their feeds with questions, you can also do that. They will see that. With that, I think, uh, toast? Okay. Yeah. So obviously, toasts to our doctor friends. Yes. Thank you guys so much for coming on. To all the question askers, to our friends who sent in vaccine selfies, and to those who encouraged us to do this unconventional episode. And especially, uh, again, our guests for giving us their time and knowledge. So we toast to them. Cheers. Cheers. Yay. There will be links in the show notes to any resources mentioned in this episode. I know Dr. McBride and Dr. Lisa both sent us um, links and stuff and resources, and I will make sure they get out there for all of you guys if you want them. And if we let fear into our home and gave it permission to take over our minds, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Fear finds a way in. Fear weakens you. Fear puts us on the hunt. Fear lies. Fear doesn't always have a rational source. It chooses you when your guard is down, when you're alone, when you're vulnerable, when your heart is open and you're searching for answers, when you need something to hold on to. Fear offers you an unsteady hand and pulls you into its cold, thin mist. Fear warns you, but you don't always know how to listen. <laughs>